Lord, we just want that to be our prayer today, that you would speak what is true into our hearts and that we would be open to receive it. God, we thank you so much for your spirit and for your truth. And we just want to encounter those things today, Lord. May we have eyes to see your truth and ears to hear it and minds to understand it. And may it just be um, just from you this morning. We give this time to you. We invite you into this space. We tell you that you are good. It's in your son's name we pray all these things. Amen. All right. This is going to be a stand-up sermon. This is not a sit-down sermon, so I'm going to... Now you guys are nervous. So uh, my name's Jordan, like I said, if you're here for announcements, and I'm the student pastor here, and I get to preach every once in a while, and I love being able to do that, and so I'm just grateful to be here again. And Garen told me that I get one week to talk about whatever I want, and then he's blocked out the next three to clean up the mess, right, Garen? So like... Everything I say that's heretical, we're just going to walk back through. He didn't mean this, you know, he was, so, good. Okay, I want to break a rule in church to start. I want you to get out your phone, okay? This is, this is serious. This is important for the kingdom of God work. So get out your phone and get on whatever social media that you tend to be on, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever. Pull up the home feed of whatever social media you're on. Let's leave Tinder out of it for now. We're not trying to... I'm not trying to swipe right this morning. Okay, so you're on your social media. You're on your home screen. Just kind of scroll through. Look at what your friends are posting about. Just like three or four or five. What seems to be the general trend of what they're posting about? Is there, is there a common theme? And then I want you to go to your home profile and look at your recent posts. Look at what you've been posting about. Kind of get a sense the last four or five posts. What, what's been going on in my life? And ask yourself this. If I was a new follower to me, and I looked at my profile and what I post about and what I talk about, is the mission of my life clear? Is it clear what I value? Is it clear what I'm all about? Or if somebody saw my profile, would it be kind of ambiguous, like, I don't really know what's going on with this person? Okay, you can put away your phones. If, this, if the message is boring, you have my blessing to get it back out later, but give me a chance first. Um, I do this because a recent study shows that up to 80% of social media posts we post about ourselves, right? So eight out of 10 things that you post are gonna be about you, whether it's your thoughts, your opinions, your kids, your experiences, your selfies, whatever. It's all about us up to 80% of the time, right? And that's, that's a high number, but it's not really that surprising to me and maybe not even to you because we live in a society that encourages self-focus and consumption and we're constantly being told it's all about us, right? We are the first thought that we have a lot of the times. And, and I'm not here to tell you that being served is, is bad. I'm not, telling, I'm not here to tell you that consumption is bad because we all love going on vacation and making it about ourselves or going to a restaurant and, and being served by somebody else, right? That's a nice thing. But the danger is when we let the consumer mentality bleed over into the kingdom of God because this consumer mentality is a dangerous one. And if we're not careful... We can, we can come to the Lord's table and we can look to be served before we look to serve. And that can just kind of be our default sometimes. We're kind of programmed that way outside of God's kingdom. It's so easy for that to bleed into his kingdom. But the thing is, when we look into the Garden of Eden, we don't see that. We don't see Adam and Eve being served. We don't, we don't see them looking to be served. We don't see angels attending to them and bringing them all these delights and they're just sitting there on a couch, right? We see them 
with jobs to do. I realize I already skipped a slide and it's so important and I have to show it. When we were talking about social media, this is the, this is probably what I show most of the time on my social media. So this is Maggie, she's three, and her mom was in charge of her that night. And this is Jet, and he is 10 months, and so that's my social media, so I wanted to show that. Um, okay, so we look into the garden, and we don't see consumption, right? We don't see Adam and Eve simply consuming, but when we look, and the more we read into Genesis, we actually see that Adam and Eve have been given a really important job to do. Each of them were made specifically for a job that God had given them, and it's their job in the garden to carry this out. They were given um, a job specifically made just for them. So TABC, I have news for us today. I have news for you specifically. You too were created by God with a specific purpose in mind. Your, your life is not, even if it feels that way, it's not floundering and meaningless and, and devoid of purpose. You were made with a very specific purpose. I want to take us quickly to Ephesians 2.10. I actually taught on this, this verse last time I was up here. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. When I talked about this last time, we honed in on this word masterpiece, and it's taken from a Greek word, poema, which is where we get poem or work of art. And, and God has literally made you a masterpiece he has made you a work of art. He has made a lot of things special to just you, right? So if you need to take a second, just like, I don't know, feel yourself for a second. Like, yeah, I'm a masterpiece. I feel good. I'm looking good on Sunday morning. Because um, you are a masterpiece. But it doesn't stop there. You're not just a masterpiece. You were made with a masterpiece mission in mind. You were made with a goal. And God specially equipped you just for this thing. There is something that you we're specially created for, and it's something that no one else can do as well as you, right? So Jason, you were made specifically to do a job that no one can do as well as you. And Sierra, same with you. You have a specific job that nobody can do as well as you, right? Don, even, Don, even you, even you, Don, were made. I don't know what that purpose is. We're going to find out one of these days, but Don, you were made specifically with a job in mind when God created you. Um, I really love specialized tools. I love these weird tools that you see and it's like, what in the world does this thing do? Because it only has one purpose. And other than that, it's pretty useless. But like when it's in its element and it's accomplishing this one purpose, it's really cool to see that, right? So I have a few up here that I want to show you and I want to see if we can kind of figure out maybe what these things are used for. So this right here, I want us to take a second. Can you guys figure out maybe what what this is all about. It's in a library, so it's academic. Um, and if you haven't figured it out, it's a big wheel with these things that hold books. And researchers, before the internet, uh, would get books and put them on these things. And if they were researching something, they'd look at one and then, okay, crank the wheel, and here's my next book, and here's my next one. And uh, this is actually what Garen still uses. I pulled this out of his office. <laughs> and that's what I do on Mondays. I just crank the wheel for him. That's all I do. <laughs> So, um, this, is like, this is like internet multiple tabs before the internet, right? So, like, you want to pull up multiple things. That's what this was. So, specialized tool. It's not good for much, but that one thing, it really gets it done. Okay, I have two more, and I'm pretty sure all the women are going to know one, and all the men are going to know other, another, but I'm not sure, so I'm kind of interested. So, women, I think you guys will know this one. Do women, do you know what this is? Yes, all the women. The men are like, uh, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, an apple core, right? This was key to my childhood. You stick the apple on the end and you crank it and this little metal piece like, like peels the apple and it, the, the whole peel just like zooms off in one big Twizzler. And we would stand at the edge of the counter and just like, na 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 and just try and eat it as fast as we could. So I loved this thing. But yeah, that's an apple core. Not good for much else, but definitely good for peeling apples. Okay, I don't know. Guys, I hope you get this one. I think you will. Women, maybe not. I don't know. Men, do you know what this is? Shag bag. Yes, someone golfs. Okay, so this is a shag bag. So you go and you hit a whole bunch of golf balls into a field. And then if you're my dad, you trick your eight-year-old son into going and shagging a hundred balls and making him think it's really awesome when it's not. Like, I would get so excited to go to the park. He'd be like, you want the bag? I'm like, yeah. And I would shag. And at the end, I'd be like, man, I just got played. But shag bag. So not good for much. But yeah, picking up golf balls, definitely useful for that, right? So each of these tools, specific purpose. It's a specific tool that was designed a specific way for a specific job. And you are the same way. Do you ever wonder why you are made the way that you are? Do you ever wonder why your personality is the way that it is? Or why you have the abilities that you do or the strengths that you do or just the little weird things that make you you? Do you ever wonder why you're that way? Well, I would contend and God would contend through Ephesians 2.10 that that's not an accident, that he made you perfectly for a job that he has already predestined for you to do. He's already set out for you to do. So just like these three specialized tools, you are a specialized tool with a job to do. So this is going to be the focus of what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about your masterpiece mission. This, jo- this mission, this job, this purpose in Ephesians 2.10 that God says he has laid out for us and prepared for us. And this mission is threefold. It is personal, it is familial, and it is communal. There are three aspects to this mission that we all have to fulfill. And I'm really into shapes right now because Garen is big into like visual stuff. So like he'll go to the whiteboard and be drawing shapes and quadrants and graphs and all these things. So I've become very triangle oriented. So um, that's me right now. So if there's some shapes here, that's the Garen influence. Okay, so once you have that, that's going to be our focus. So I just want to jump in today and I want to start with the personal mission, okay? So we're going to go through each one of these. You were created with a specific job to do, we've said that, and it's a job that cannot be fully accomplished by anyone else, but it's also a job that cannot be fully accomplished inside these church walls. Okay, let me say that again. Your biggest opportunity to serve God this week will happen outside of this church. If giving this sermon is the height of my ministry this week, I have failed. Okay? If your biggest contribution to the kingdom this week happens inside these church walls, you have failed, okay? Now, I don't want this to get misconstrued um, because volunteers are so essential. And as someone who runs children's and youth ministries, like I live and breathe volunteers. If my volunteers quit, I would be out of a job. So volunteers are so, so key. But we cannot fall into this trap of thinking that it is all about the programs that it is all about what happens at 2023 West 12th Avenue. It cannot just be about what happens here. And trust me, guys, trust me, I would love to come up here and give a sermon that would motivate you all to be volunteers in my programs, okay? If, if I had more volunteers, my life would be so much easier. But 
Like, that's what my flesh wants. But the Spirit of God says, Jordan, yeah, your programs, they play a role. But really, what's way more important is that people realize that they are to be mobilized and to go out. And it can't just be about what happens at 12. Should we support church programs? Yes, thank you. Should we volunteer and do things within the church? Yes, thank you. Please do those things. But don't get caught in this trap that once you do that, you check it off and you've done your Christian deed. It is about so much more than what happens here. You also should know that it is not just up to church staff to do ministry, right? My line there was actually people with TABC name tags, but I realize I haven't worn a name tag in like two years, so that doesn't really fly. But it's not just up to church staff to do this either, okay? It's not like you can just go out in your community and meet someone like your neighbor or someone you work with, and instead of communicating the gospel to them or living out the gospel, just saying, you know what, my pastor Garen's been doing this great thing with like circles the last five weeks. It's all about the kingdom of God. It's really awesome. He does a drawing. You'll get a kick out of it. Come check him out. He can do it. Um, that's what he gets paid for. It's to, it's to spread the gospel. So come see him and he'll take care of it. No, 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 no. It can't be about that, right? We have made you cards just for this purpose so that you can go out and be ministers of the gospel. It can't be about getting people here all the time. It's gotta be about getting the gospel outside these walls as well. Um, we see so many times in the New Testament, 90 times actually, that Paul, the greatest missionary of all time, he is talking about these people that work alongside him and he calls them his co-laborers. Um, these people who have normal Ordinary jobs, right? Ministry is not their job. He is partnering with these people, and he's calling them his, his co-laborers, his co-workers in the gospel. He calls them his fellow soldiers, his fellow prisoners, and ministers of the gospel, right? In this group, it's made of men, women, young, old. Really, anybody who is willing to partner with him is joining this, this wave of God with, with Paul, and they are spreading the gospel. It's not about having a title or having a degree, it's about being willing to be used by God. So guys, the truth is that this idea that you are not smart enough or moral enough or wise enough or know enough about the Bible to be a co-laborer in the gospel, that's a blatant lie. That is a lie from Satan. And it's one that he has put in your mind to keep you off mission during the week. Satan doesn't care if you come to church and be churchy. That's cool. Keep it inside here. What he hates is when you live out the mission outside these walls. Because what does that mean? The kingdom of God is expanding. Shalom is expanding. Light is being thrust into dark places. He hates that. Don't let him keep you off mission during the week with this lie that you are not qualified. 1 Peter 2.5 speaks directly against this. If you're a believer, it says you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. And what's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So what? If you're a believer, you are a spiritual stone, and we're all together being stacked up into the spiritual house that the Holy Spirit fills. It's a temple for him. And that's what, what's more than that? If you're a believer, you are a holy priest. You didn't know that, did you? You didn't know you were um, priest. Let's go back to Don, because Don as a priest is really funny. Priest Don, you didn't know you were a priest Don, did you? You didn't know that you were a priest. What does that mean? It means that there's no mediation between you and Jesus. That you don't have to come to, Je you don't have to, come to Garen. You don't have to go to a priest or someone holy or right with God to communicate with him. That you, through the blood of Jesus, are now able to approach the throne of God. And there is nothing between you and him. And so you are 
You are more than qualified to spread the gospel. You are more than qualified to preach truth. You are more than qualified to be in relationship with God. And you don't have to go through somebody else or let somebody else do it. A few weeks ago, Garen introduced us to this word shalom, this idea, right? And he challenged us to carry shalom with us wherever we went throughout the week. So if we're hanging out with friends or running errands or at our jobs or at home with our families, we're spreading shalom. So guys, this is number one. This is our personal mission right here. To be peacemakers that introduce shalom into every part of our lives. Letting that expand out from this place. A few weeks ago, um, Garen visited Summit Church in North Carolina. That's J.D. Greer's church, if you know who he is. And he went into their children's department. I think he was just snooping around for a long time. He went in their children's department and he took a picture of a poster down there. And he sent it to me and it said, I want to get this right. It says, your family is your primary mission field. And I love that. And this church, this Summit Church, is all about partnering with the church so that the family is preaching the gospel to the kids throughout the week. We don't just take them to church and drop them off and then not talk about it for six days. The, the church and the family are really partnering. And families are taking ownership of their kids' spiritual walk. And I love that. And I want to bring that even more into the fold of what we do here at 12th. And I say that so that you will not misunderstand my next point, okay? Because what I'm going to say next might jar a little bit of you. But I just want you to know that's where I'm coming from. I want you to know that you have also been given a familial mission by God, and that that mission includes more than just the people that you included on your tax return this year, okay? It is more than just about the family that lives in your house. I want to look at another Greek word, oikos, okay? I googled oikos, hoping for a really cool visual. Boom. Apparently it's a yogurt. (laughs) I've seen this a hundred times in Walmart. It's never made me mad until now, because why is oikos on yogurt? Oikos does not mean yogurt. Oikos is a word that means house or household or the people living inside a home. That's how it's used in the New Testament. Not yogurt. For some reason, we're calling it yogurt. Don't buy oikos yogurt. Don't do it. Um, This is a much better representation of what we're trying to talk about. Oikos, right? Household, family. In Luke 4, we see Jesus redefine his oikos. He redefines his family. So in Luke 4... Jesus has just come out of the wilderness. Satan has tempted him for 40 days. He's weary. He comes up into Nazareth, and he is greeted there by the town. And according to recent digs, archaeologists think that Nazareth was a town of maybe four or 500 people, not a big town at all, right? I went to a, a college of 650 people, and let me tell you, if somebody new came in the lunchroom, you knew it, right? Like, yes, you go here, you go here, you don't go here. Like, you, you just know. And so in this even smaller town of Nazareth, people knew Jesus. They were close with him. It's not like this guy walks in and they're like, whoa, this guy's really skinny and kind of, you know, bananas on for a while. What's the deal with him? No, they know it's Jesus and they know what he's all about. They grew up with him. So Jesus comes into Nazareth. He goes into the temple and everyone's with him, right? Jesus is back. We're all going to go in the temple and worship together. And Jesus opens the Isaiah scroll and he starts to read Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And to the Jewish people, they love this this passage because it tells of a Messiah that is coming in the future and is going to redeem their land and is going to be their king, right? So every time they hear this, it's like their hype song, like they're loving it, like, yeah, the Messiah is coming. So this is how it is quoted in Luke 4. Jesus reads this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he reads this, and they're stoked. They're like, yes, we're loving this. Well, what they didn't love is that after he reads this, Jesus steps forward and he says, actually, guys, it's me, right? I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. I am the Messiah that this Isaiah prophet was talking about. And they don't like this one bit. They turn on him, right? His family, his oikos that he has grown up with turns on him immediately. They get so mad at him that they pick him up and they try and throw him off a cliff. Did you realize this was in there? They take Jesus out of town. They try to throw him off a cliff and through a work of God, Jesus is able to just walk through them and, and not be harmed. But this oikos that he had grown up with had turned on him. So what does Jesus do? In the next chapter, he begins to assemble a new oikos, right? He begins to assemble his 12 disciples, and he starts with Simon. And he starts to seek an oikos that is deeper than blood. It's about more than who you grew up with. It's about mission. It was about bringing along these 12 and exposing them to the gospel firsthand through the rhythms of everyday life, and then sending each of them out to create a new oikos that would do the same. Right? So he's setting up this multiplication of oikos, where you go out and you, you create a new spiritual oikos, and they walk with you, and they see the rhythm, rhythms of your life, and they see the gospel, and then they are sent out to multiply that oikos. And this is Jesus' multiplication method. He is no longer defining his family by who he grew up with or who he lives with. He is redefining his spiritual oikos. And there is a movement in our culture to redefine oikos much like Jesus did. Um, The youngest two generations in the U.S., the millennials and Generation Z or Gen Z, they are beginning to define family much differently than any generation before them. This could be the result of the breakdown of the nuclear family in America, right? Only 68% of millennials, that's me, grew up with two married parents, and it's dropping. That, was, that at the time, the millennials had the lowest rate ever, and it's dropped even more, and now Gen Z has only 65% two married parents, right? So we see the nuclear family is falling apart. And these generations, these youngest generations, are starving for, oiko- for oikos outside of the home, And they are looking to redefine the word family by looking for it outside the walls of their house. I think it's really interesting when you look at the evolution of the TV sitcom. It mirrors this, okay? It's kind of interesting. Um, think about this. In the 80s and 90s, what were the popular shows? Boom. These were classics. All of you under the age of 20 who have never seen these, I pity you. Uh, family Matters. The Wonder Years, The Cosby Show, Home Improvement. Ho, 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 ho. That was such a good show. All of these shows focus on the nuclear family, right? That's the basis of the storyline. And a lot of the, mo- of the really popular shows were like this. They, they, were, they followed this model. But in more recent years, a new trend has arisen in TV. Just a few after this, shows like Friends, Modern Family, Big Bang Theory, Walking Dead, Lost have all become popular, and they don't follow this model, but instead, they focus on a group of non-biological friends who struggle to find community together outside of the traditional family mold, right? And I think this is just one of many clues that the next generations, the upcoming generations, are hungry for an oikos that is thicker than blood, that, that they're hungry for an oikos that exists outside 
of their family. This, these new generations, they long to live on mission. They long to live with a meaningful purpose, right? They long to be surrounded by a genuine family, whatever that looks like, that cares for them and that wants to accomplish their goals. And they're not afraid for this oikos, this family unit, to be unconventional or multi-generational or unpolished. This is the new generation. This is what they're seeking. So guys, as the body of Christ, we can no longer afford to limit our idea of family to the people that we are genetically linked to. We have been given a familial mission by God to invite others into our oikos, not so that we can preach the gospel to them, right? Not so we can bring them to church and preach to them, but what? so that we can walk alongside them as we follow Jesus together, right? This is the reason we redefine oikos, to show them the rhythms of life um, in the gospel. Okay. And one more time, I just want to say this again. Please hear me on this, that your responsibility to your nuclear family is so, so, so important. Okay, I don't want you to abandon your nuclear family in search of this new spiritual oikos. That's not what I'm saying at all, because it is your first and most important mission given to you by God. But here's the deal. We cannot fall into the trap that is turning, the, that is turning this mission into an idol, that is turning family into an idol. Because for you to spend the entirety of your resources, time, and energy focused on an idol of family, it's shallow, it's hollow, it's fleeting, and it's idolatry. And it's, it's limiting what God wants to do through your family, right? If you just say, God, this is my family, this is, these are the kids I have, and this is just it, and we're good. We're our, our, our own island. That is so limiting to what God wants to do through them. We cannot make the mistake of elevating creation over the mission of the creator. And the reason we can say this with confidence is because ultimately, and this is hard, I could have preached this so easy five years ago, now I have kids. Ultimately, your kids are not yours. Your family is not yours, okay? My family is not mine. God has given us these things as a blessing, but also as a tool that he wants to use, and we have to hold our families with loose hands, right? We have to say, God, you can shape this however you want. You can use this however we, you want. We can't hold on to it, okay? You are not an owner of your kids. You are an ambassador of Christ to your kids. Let me say that again. You do not own your kids. You are an ambassador of Christ to them. Once again, this is hard for me too because I want to own my kids so badly, but I don't. They're God's. So once again, this is your familial mission to redefine your oikos by inviting others to walk alongside you as you follow Jesus together, and to not be afraid to let, to let God redefine that for you. Okay, the last part of your masterpiece mission is communal, and this refers to the mission that you have within the community here at 12th Avenue. And I have a statistic, statistic that um, is a little unsettling, but I have to share it with you. Okay, so there's a recent survey done of 1,103 churches it spanned 23 denominations over 12 years. So a pretty good-sized um, survey we took here, okay? And here is what we asked in this survey. One question was, we asked everybody, why did you leave your previous church, okay? So they asked everybody that question. 3,803 people answered that question, okay? And 
and of those people, 88% said they were forced to leave their church, okay? Now, of those, if you follow on the, on the arrows here, there's a lot of numbers. Of those 3,348, um, 61% of them said that they felt forced to leave because of conflict with another church member, gossip, or a dispute that would not go away. So this is a lot of numbers and arrows to take in quickly, but let me just show you. A little under 4,000 people said they left a previous church because they felt they needed to, whether it was job change or they moved somewhere else in the city or whatever, conflict change, whatever. And just over 2,000 of them said the reason they had to leave was because of unresolved conflict or gossip or dispute, okay? So that is, that is over half of the people who leave your church because they feel they need to did so because of conflict, gossip, or dispute. Is it me or is that a really high ugly number because just think about the place where you worked if over half the people that felt they needed to leave their job did so because they felt one of these things forced them out of it that would be a really unhealthy work environment you would not be proud to work there but these are the stats of the American church right we are not treating each other well that's bad for anyone but especially for a church and in Colossians 1:18, Jesus calls himself the head that sits on top of the church, right? Let me say this. Jesus has no use for a body that does damage to itself, okay? Jesus has no use for a church, for a body that will not listen to his commands. But what does Jesus say? In John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. You will do what I say about how to treat each other. So what does Jesus say about how we should be treating each other? John 13, 34, you should love one another, Matthew 18, 15, if another person sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. That's the anti-gossip verse right there. Romans 12, 10, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with everybody. Colossians 3, 13, bear with one another and forgive one another. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, get rid of all your bitterness, your rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every form of malice, but be kind and compassionate to each other and forgive each other as Christ forgave you. If the church treated each other like this, do you think so many people would be leaving their church with a bad taste in their mouth and seeking redemption somewhere else? We have to start treating each other the way that Jesus says we need to. We have to be a body that works together, that hurts together, that grows, struggles, wades through mess together. And why? Why do we have to do that? Because we are a body, right? We are not a group of individuals who gets together once a week. That's not what we are. We are a body of Christ. He calls us that. He says he's the head on top of us and we have to work together. I want you to think about <clears throat> when you get hurt. Like when you have scraped an elbow or a knee and you start bleeding, what happens? It is your body's first priority to take care of that, right? Your body doesn't say, I got a lot going on with an earache right now, so I'll stop that bleeding in a day or two. No, immediately starts sending blood clots to this area and stops the bleeding and then a scab forms and then it heals itself, right? It is priority one when the body is hurt to take care of itself. On your genetic code, on your DNA in your body, there are miles of code written about how the body can heal itself. It is so important to your physical body. Why is that such a low priority in Jesus' body? in the body of Christ. If it is written on our genetic DNA to take care of ourself, why is it not written on the, the community of Christ's DNA to take care of itself? Why is that such a foreign thing? We have got to be a body that hurts together, that, that feels together, that takes care of each other. 
It has got to be written into the communal DNA of 12th Avenue that this is what we do. We care for one another. It's a part of who we are. Why? Because Jesus said to, and we are one body. We are his body. I was listening to a podcast recently, um, and the guest on there was Kara Powell. She's with Fuller Youth Institute. She's really good. And she was talking about the trends in youth recently, right? And she said that um, social at-risk behavior for Generation Z, the youngest generation, is actually down. It's really good. So this is things like partying, premarital sex, alcohol, and drug use. These are good, thi- these are good things to be down, right? It's awesome that these things are down. But the, the next half of the podcast talked about how um, personal at-risk behavior is actually really on the rise, more than ever before with this generation. So this is things like, <clears throat> sorry, this is things like depression, oh boy, depression, anxiety, pornography use, self-harm, suicide. These are things that are just through the roof with, just, with this generation. So simply put, what she was saying is that this youngest generation feels isolated They are starving for belonging, they are starving for identity, and they are starving for community, and they're not getting it. So they're turning to these very dangerous and destructive personal habits. Garen, a few weeks ago, talked about how we as adults have such a void in our lives for friendship. He talked about how many of us go through the majority of our adult lives without a close friend to confide in, right? And so even as adults, we feel isolated a lot of times, even if we wouldn't say so. Are you guys beginning to see the needs that we have in this community right here? Are you beginning to see that we have a need for peacemakers? That we have a need for healers in this community? We have a need for mentors and friends and leaders. This community right here has plenty of needs. Are you beginning to see how your mission could start to fill those needs? Are you beginning to see that you have a role to play in this community? Everyone has a role to play in this community. For some of us, the issue isn't really seeing the need in the community. It's not seeing that we have holes to fill. That's obvious. But rather, it's feeling equipped to take care of them. Okay, so I want to read 1 Corinthians 12, and then I want to talk about it really quick. But this is about the body of Christ. It says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews and Gentiles and slaves and free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share in that same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not the eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? And if your whole body were an ear... How would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. When I read this, I don't know about you, but I just think about dunking a basketball. Does anybody else get that vibe? Is anybody with me on that? No one. Jay, you're not even with me on that? No? Okay, let me explain because it's not super obvious. When you dunk a basketball, and my experience has been eight foot and lower in this area, I'll admit. um, It's the shoes. I can't get good shoes, you know. It's the shoes. Um, The whole body is required to dunk a basketball, okay? 
There's some really key parts of the body that you absolutely need to dunk a ball. Hand, both feet, head up, right? These are things that you absolutely need to dunk a ball. But even the smaller parts of your body, if they're not on board, you're not dunking that basketball, okay? If one of your eyes decides to look off to the side, or if like one of your fingers lets go of the ball, it could slip out. Or like your tongue. Your tongue is super essential to dunking a ball. Did you guys know that? You didn't know that, did you? It is super essential. I'll tell you why. Because all the best dunkers use tongue, okay? It is essential. Check this out. You're going to tell me that that is not a part of dunking? The tongue is essential to the dunk. So here's what I'm trying to say. You may not think that you are essential to the body of Christ. You may think you're the tongue. It doesn't matter if you show up or not because the whole body's going to get it done with or without you. It doesn't really matter. You could say, I'm not a teacher, or I don't have a lot of biblical knowledge, or I don't have any leadership experience, or I get nervous in front of people, and my throat gets dry like Jordan, and I look like a goober up there. But there's a job in this community that you have been equipped to do. You absolutely have something to bring to the table. Your job is not to be concerned with whether or not it's illustrious or highly visible or well-respected. Your job is to be faithful to serve the kingdom in your unique way because guess what? No one else can do it the way you can. Uh, Kate loves watching Jimmy Fallon on YouTube and Jimmy's always trying to get things trending. So we're gonna get something trending. All right, be the tongue. Hashtag be the tongue. Do not be afraid to be the tongue. Do not be afraid to be the small part that doesn't get noticed or thanked and to say, that's not my gig. Because we all have a role to play, no matter how small it is. A few weeks ago, Garen brought a student up here named Sean Hui, and he talked about how he went on a Mexico mission trip, and every day he woke up and he just said, Jesus, I'm going to bear my cross today. I'm going to do whatever you have for me. I'm going to put my ego and my desire out of it, and I'm going to do what you have. And he stood up here and he said it was the most rewarding time and God used him in incredible ways. And every day he went to bed exhausted and should have been in a bad mood, but he wasn't. He was full of joy because of the way he submitted to the mission of the Father, okay? This needs to be our attitude. Can you imagine if the whole body of Christ said every morning, God, use me however you want. Take my ego and my agenda out of it. Do what you want through me and I will bear my cross today. Can you imagine if we all said that, the things that would get done, the people that would get reached, the healing and the shalom that would be spread, it would amaze all of us if we woke up and did that. So, Chan Hui, I don't know if you're here or not, but thank you so much for your example because your humility was really challenging and really encouraging to me. So to put a bow on this last one, this is your communal mission. It's to care for <clears throat> and serve your Jesus community that you're a part of in the same way that your physical body cares for itself, okay? Communal mission. I have four minutes. I want to end by re-emphasizing something else Garen said. I'm mentioning Garen a lot. This is really just a lot of Garen sermons taped together, so if you haven't noticed that, he's got a lot of good things to say. Garen, a few weeks ago, he said this, and this is kind of the direction we're heading as a church, I think. He says, we are restoring all things back to God one person and place at a time. This is kind of our North Star. This is kind of what's directing us. And Garen said, we do this by bringing shalom into the environments that we have access to in our lives. Shalom being God's goodness, his peace, the way that he intended things to be. You usher that 
into every part of your life, when you pick up your personal mission and, and, and you leave 12th and you say, I'm going to live this out and be a peacemaker in all places. Because God has invited us to be peacemakers who work alongside him to restore his creation. But here's the deal. This is only possible when we understand who we are and what we were created to do. So let me remind you, because vision leaks, and it's so easy every day, every week, every hour, to forget who we are. So let me remind you who you are. You are a masterpiece. If you need to be in your fields and move to tears and feel this, go read Psalm 39 and just look at how intimately involved God is in your life. When you have kids, it changes. <laughs> Before you were born, man, God saw you and he made you so special. Doggone it, why'd you have to cry? You were so close. <laughs> um, so that's who you are. Let me tell you what you were created for. You were created for a masterpiece mission. And this was given to you because only you can do it as well as you can. So I want you to go home. I want you to eat lunch. I want you to put your kids down. Hopefully there's a quiet time in your house today where your kids are in bed and you can just think. And I want you to dream about your mission. And I want you to dream about what God has prepared for you. Because it's bigger than what you can dream for you. And I want you to be bold when you dream about this. And I don't want you to be scared. Don't insult God with your small thinking and your safe living when it comes to your mission. Don't insult God with your small thinking and your safe living in your mission. Instead, be bold in answering your call to yourself and to your family and to your community. Only you can fill that role. Only you have been equipped to do it. Church, we can sit here and we can talk about this stuff and we can go to Bible study and life group and talk about it and those are good things, but we gotta do it. So let's go do it. Let me pray. God, we love you. God, thank you so much for caring about us enough to make us masterpieces, to give us masterpiece missions that only we can do. God, we are excited to join you on this journey, to join in your mission. Thank you for making us peacemakers that spread your shalom all across your creation. Lord, we love you. Be with us as we go today and empower us to do just this. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.